Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod, where it's myself and Jamie this week, and we're going to be discussing the Madrid Derby, a game that was referred to as a weird game by Diego Simeone afterwards. We're going to discuss the merits of that claim, whether or not it was a weird game. It was a game of two segments, we'll say. The first 30 minutes where Atletico struggled, and then the last 60 minutes where Atletico started to get a little bit of rhythm and looked slightly better, if never totally convincing. But first off, we're going to kick off a new segment called Stats Corner, where we're going to throw three stats at you that you can ponder, you can share them with your friends, you can tweet them, you can discard them completely if if they're not interesting to you. But just three stats that we found interesting about La Liga the past weekend, upcoming stuff, things in general that are happening in La Liga. And we're going to start out with a player and a team that took part in one of the best games of the of the game week and one of the best games of the tactically one of the better games of the season. It was Girona versus Real Sociedad. Alex Garcia had 44 touches. That's his fewest touches in a La Liga game this season. His previous low was 54 against Almeria. And I don't know if you remember that game, but Girona struggled in that one too. The, the, they failed to score in both games. And more so, obviously we know Alex Garcia is the motor of of Girona's entire style of play but he and the fact that Imanol Alguacil pushed Bryce Mendes up on him and shut him down and Girona struggled we thought it was an interesting statistic given what's coming in the next weekend when they play Real Madrid is that something do you think the Real Madrid are going to do? I think they'd like to if they could, but I'm not sure they're able to do it in the same way that Real Sociedad can, where it's just, along with man-to-man and Alex Garcia, it was basically man-to-man across the whole pitch. They were defending like 3v3 at the back at times where you're leaving somebody alone with Savio. So Real Sociedad were just, they were more focused on, we're just going to try and stop Alex Garcia playing entirely and take our chances with maybe we get beaten over the top with with speed or something. Um but yeah, it's it's no coincidence that Alish Garcia's his uh his two lowest game totals this season for touches have resulted in Girona not scoring a, a single goal in either game against Real Sociedad and Almeria. So it was also the first time this season he's been subbed actually. He was taken off in the eightieth minute. So those two stats uh, in themselves kinda validate everything that Alguacil and Real Sociedad uh, managed to do on the night. Yeah, and it'll be interest- it, it would have been interesting if Artem Dobbik had started. He was injured for the game and maybe Girona would have had an option out uh, over the top if, if he had played and, and maybe Alguacil wouldn't have been as as confident in, in, in what they were doing if Dobbik had played. Um, yeah, Alex Garcia taken off in the 80th minute against Real Sociedad which was basically not 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 that it was a, a white flag from Michel, but it was a kind of an understanding that this game just doesn't suit Alex Garcia. Given the players you have available, given how it's gone, we need to try something different, which which is fine too. So yeah, Alex Garcia sent off in that Almeria game actually in the 80th minute, 
ironically. Um, so yeah, an interesting one. So the second stat we're going to delve into here for a minute is Athletic Club have won eight consecutive games across all competitions at San Mamez, the longest winning streak at home since September 1998. And there were also eight straight wins. That was under Luis Fernandez. They finished second that season in La Liga to Barcelona, qualifying for the Champions League. And they've got a huge couple of games coming up now against Atletico Madrid in the Copa del Rey semi-final. We're we're, we're gearing ourselves up for pretty much just a war of attrition here, no? I mean, it depends on the health of the Williams brothers. I guess that's going to be a big factor in this game. I don't know if both are going to make it for the first leg, but especially at San Mamez, um, that's going to be such a such a tough game for Atletico. Of course, it depends on what the aggregate scoreline is going back to San Mamez for the second leg. But yeah, I watched them against uh, Mallorca. I watched the game back yesterday and it's they're, they're just such a punishing team at, at San Mamez. It was... You know, a really overwhelming performance once again from them. Mallorca didn't have a single shot from inside the box from open play. Athletic scored four goals. The, the Williams brothers were incredible. Sunset again. And Gudu Setter, I want to give a special mention to because he was he was playing like Karim Benzema on, on Friday night. So we all look to Inyaki and Nico Williams for what what you know making this team. Uh, such a tough um, team to try and cover, but the the movement in the front line, Guru Set and Sunset, is just uh, it's a it's a delight to watch at the moment. It's something they've never they haven't had in a very very long time. They're trying to just kind of wedge Inyaki Williams in there at number nine, and he was suffering for it. And all of a sudden, they've got this player Guru Set, and obviously you're saying Benzema there. Uh, Pretty big claim. I know it's just a comparison, but the or for 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 the for the sake of understanding how he was playing, but he is he is really that important to them, and it also and and not so much what he does himself. It's how he opens the game up for everyone else. Ian Sanset has been excellent, and the two Williams brothers too have excelled. Given the fact that they now have a number nine, they know the movements. He's 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 been playing there he's that he's the starter and it's it's been it's been excellent to see i didn't actually understand the third goal it looked like it was offside Ian sunset seemed to clip it no or did they, did they just miss that yeah i thought the same to be honest but yeah i guess it was kind of one of those games where mallorca were toast already so nobody gave it much of a second thought but much like Xavi hernandez we're not talking about referees here right so moving on then to the third statistic oh yeah sorry so uh, just we're going to talk about Atletico now, but some people said that at least, uh, I saw that someone said that Atletico played a team against Real Madrid with the Copa del Rey semi final in mind. Do you think that was the case? It, it did kind of strike me as a very defensive looking side against Real Madrid, but I think that that was also because of how Real Madrid punished them on the counter. Um, in in previous meetings, so I think that that was why. But I, I I do maybe wonder if Simeone is thinking a Copa del Rey win and a Champions League quarterfinal, potentially semi final, would be much better now than a failed La Liga run, falling in the semi final of the Copa del Rey and then a quarterfinal of the Champions League. 
do you think trophy silverware is on the back of Simeone's mind with, with Athletic Club, given how punishing you are, as they say? Do you think that's an, in the back of his mind rather than pushing for a La Liga title that's probably out of their reach? Yeah, I think he definitely fielded that starting eleven at the Bernabeu with future games in mind. If not, if it was just a, a one-off game where they knew they had a, a week to rest or something, I'm, I'm sure Samuel Lino would have played, m- maybe Barrios as well, given how well he he was, um, or how good he was against Rayo in the previous game. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Simeone will be so happy with the result that they managed to go to the Bernabeu and avoid defeat while only having to put sort of 30 minutes in the legs of Lino, uh, Barrios, um, maybe you could even say the pie as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, with that in mind, Simeone be delighted. Yeah, delighted with the point as well. And it doesn't look like there's any injuries either. So moving on to our third stash in the first ever edition of Stats Corner. Uh, we're going to talk about Samu Omarodion, who became the youngest player this century to score home and away against Barcelona in a La Liga campaign. He's only 19. And he has eight goals now in La Liga. Is it safe to say that what happens with him during the summer and what Atletico decide to do with him could go a long way to deciding the transfer market for 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 Atletico Madrid. Um yeah, I think so. I'm I'm just really intrigued to see if they they bring him back next season if they're convinced to do it. We know that Simeone has not always been on the side of the younger players. It's not easy to get into that team, but if you just take it on the merits of his attributes and what he's shown this season then to me I, I would find him a, a fascinating player. If if I were Atletico and the coaching staff who were going to have to analyse his game in the summer and make the decision. Um, but yeah, scored home and away against Barcelona this season, gave him real problems in both. Um, yeah, to me, one of the coolest moments this season was in that first leg where I can't, I can't remember how far into the game it was. It was still pretty early that... Omarodian was just giving Koundé the runaround and Xavi just looks at Araujo and says, can you go at centre-back and please look after this guy because Koundé is getting, you know, torn to shreds. So, yeah, that was kind of like the the seal of approval that, yeah, this is this is a very interesting player. Yeah, and, and he's only 19. Jules Koundé is 25 with, with, with a lot of La Liga experience. It just goes to show that just how much, how strong he is and how much of a handful he is and then how much more development there probably is to come at just 19 years of age. So Sam Omarodian, a name on a lot of people's lips this in the last couple of weeks and we're, we're really excited about him. So moving on to the, Real, the Madrid Derby, Real Madrid Atletico won all. A strange game, as Simeone said, but the opening 30 minutes for Atletico went as poorly as it probably could. They were were a goal down after 19 minutes, Brahim Diaz. Diaz. There was no sense of, of structure because they were switching their formation and uh, Raquel May was struggling to deal with Brahim Diaz and Lucas Vasquez on the right, on, on Atletico's left. 
and Simeone was was calling for different changes. They had Griezmann drop down into a four man midfield, which meant then that they had to they were basically nullified going forward. And then even Morata had to drop back to try and pick up somebody because there was too many bodies. Madrid's movement was just incredible too. I thought, and I I was actually thinking like I wonder if a lot of this had to do with. Simeone thinking Vinicius is going to start with Rodrigo on the right, Bellingham, and then Vinicius all of a sudden gets taken out. Rodrigo's over there on the left. Brahim, who's who's a very different player to Rodrigo or to a Vinicius, it, way more associative. Um, and and I wonder, did Atletico that first thirty minutes was that a sign of Atletico not being ready for for the the spanner in, in that was Vinicius' injury or or illness just before the game. Yeah, it could have been because in that 10 minutes before kickoff, the story went from Vinicius is injured and then Vinicius is still in the team and then it went back to Vinicius is injured. So, yeah, I can imagine there was quite a lot of confusion early on. Um, And just feeding back into the fact that Letico were preparing for a tough run of games, you could probably look at that first half hour as well. And along with the personnel they chose to see that they're, they didn't look particularly energised going out. It felt like they went out to sit back and then quickly realised that, all right, we actually can't get out and we can't get the ball off Real Madrid, who were, like you said, playing some some really good football in that first half hour. Um, and then, yeah, the formation change happened. It sounds convenient that we've split it into first 30 and last hour, but that was literally how it happened. It was... 30 minutes and 8 seconds on the clock when Riquelme moves over to the right and Atletico moved to a 4-4-2. Um, and from there, I think along with Real Madrid going one up and the system change, Atletico starts to settle down a little bit. In the first half hour, Simeone, if you saw him at the bottom of the screen, he was just constantly shouting to his midfielders, like, just, just calm down, which I took to mean start playing football because this is Atletico Madrid. These days, they, they're not a team who go out to soak up pressure for a large part of the game and play on the counter. They they do need the ball these days. They need the ball and Koke and players like that dictating to feel like, the, like they're in the game. So, yeah, it was along with just getting the ball back off Real Madrid and trying to get some territory, it was getting themselves playing as well. So they finally managed to do, to do that after about half an hour. I was watching Sevilla last night and, and looking at their signings in the summer or in the winter transfer market and Yusuf and Nizri and, and Nasiri coming back with Algome, Lucas Ocampos, Sao, um, and Nasiri. They're one of the most leggy athletic teams now compared to what they had been with, with, with the older players. And but, but I think Real Madrid's engine room there, there there's no it's so hard to defend against aside from the fact that you you had Koke trying to chase Bellingham you had Saul trying to keep up with Camavinga Valverde and they Atletico's 5-3-2 the the midfield is narrow and that means Saul who I felt didn't no maybe he was following the instructions but he was way too narrow and it was t- taking him way too long to get out then when when Real Madrid were able to swing the ball out to that their right hand side and 
then so you had Brahim Diaz kind of inverting a little bit, Lucas Vasquez trailing just behind him, knowing when to wait, knowing when to overlap, knowing when to underlap. And then you had Valverde spinning off them and, and waiting for the pass. So so you had Mario Hermoso then dropping off to pick up Brahim Diaz or or, or Valverde or, or whoever it was. And then you had Bellingham. And I heard Simeone giving an interview to ESPN before the game saying that this was his main this was Bellingham's main trait this this run from midfield into attack obviously Real Madrid play with no number nine now and uh, no traditional number nine and it's Bellingham making those runs if he did nothing in the game except for just make that diagonal run between the the left center back and the 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 center back in the middle which was Witzel in this case he'd add so much to to, uh, to Real Madrid and obviously he does a lot more than that but that run, he just keeps making it, keeps making it until until eventually either Atletico Madrid crack or Real Madrid find him and and he can do something with it. So I think as as much as it was down to Atletico's tactics, it was also down to the sheer brilliance of Real Madrid's movement. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big part of it for me. I thought first half hour was just another example of how well Real Madrid are playing this season. And I, I agree with Ancelotti, who said it after, like, you know, they drew 1-1 in the end, because in the last minute, but it was basically, everyone just relax, we're going to be fine. I'm, I'm concerned with the performances, and for me, the performances are very good, considering the injuries they've got as well. But they do, you know, we don't think of Ancelotti as a, a coach who sort of, promotes un- unbelievable football aesthetically um just just from his ideas alone but the chemistry between the players at the moment the movement like you said everything is just flowing really nicely for real madrid at the moment and that's like ancelotti said you know that's the most important thing for me i've i'm seeing really good things from my team um and yeah it was they're just so difficult to get to grips with because, like you said, there's no fixed number nine. When they kicked off the game, there was Rodrigo on one side, Brahim on the other, and you've got three centre-backs in the middle thinking, who am I, I marking? Who am I, who am I getting close to? And then, all of a sudden, Bellingham's running beyond. Valverde's joining in. There's Brahim's carrying the ball at you. They, yeah, there's just uh, there's a, there's a lot to handle, even with the amount of injuries that we've got. And I'm sure it really hurt Diego Simeone to think that if they could, maybe if he had started Samuel Lino, he could have had a little bit more joy down that left-hand side and they could have really got Nat Nacho and Carvajal. They didn't even really ask that many questions of them in that opening in that opening half. When you look at the the which flank Real Madrid attacked down, 49.8% of their attacks in that first half came down that right-hand side. And it just felt like they just kept on hammering it. And Raquel May was lost. Saul was lost. And and like I said, they 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 really struggled. And you you yeah, we, we, we said about the the this the connection between all the players that chemistry and you can just pop Brahim in there and you don't lose anything in, in, in fact in many ways you gain you gain 
uh, a more associative player. So yeah, they, they Ancelotti isn't the kind of manager who's going to come out and start giving real technical answers in his press conferences, and he kind of a little bit self-deprecating and kind of plays down his his tactical acumen. He even said it after the game. He said, "I don't know much about football, but <laughs> you know, being sarcastic, but he he obviously knows the players he has, and he and." They don't miss anything when any of them are injured, like Vinicius was the last second, Carvajal, Nacho. And in, in a way, they're, they're out of possession. Almost didn't really matter, especially for that first 30 minutes because Real Madrid had 62% possession, 111 passes in the final third compared to Atletico's 37, which is just ridiculous. They had seven shots. Not not Their XG wasn't as high as 1.02 to 0.52 to Atletico. And, and I'd say that's where that's one area where Ancelotti will be really sick because obviously it, it got to the point maybe half an hour left to play where where Simeone had thrown on all his attacking players and tr- tried to do something. It was very muddled then. It's very hard to kind of see what exactly was happening other than Atletico just desperately looking for the equaliser. A ball launched into the box and Marcus Llorente gets on the end of it. Real Madrid really should have put the game to bed before that um he yeah so <laughs> Ancelotti said that Real Madrid were good Simeone said neither side were very good and he said doesn't really inspire much in him that game and but but and I and I think both managers have a point because in, in one way Real Madrid were as good as they needed to be until that last attack but they should have put the game out of sight prior to that and Simeone has a point too in that um. Yeah, they didn't score another one to really put it to bed. So he's saying Real Madrid weren't as good as weren't that good because they didn't score another one, and neither were Atletico Madrid, which anyone could have seen. So it's um. Yeah, I think ne- neither side will be very happy with the point either. Um. Yeah. It's. I guess in 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 the fashion they did it without playing well, I, I'd say Simeone would be pleased. Ancelotti's obviously. Obviously, not pleased to lose two points, but um, just listening to after the game, there's there's no sense of panic whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it, I, I don't know who to agree with, really, because Ancelotti said Real Madrid were very good, which I agree with for the most part. I think that the football was very good. Um, and we have to view it in the fact that they're playing with a back four of Vasquez, Carvajal, Nacho, uh, Mendy. Obviously, the main point being Carvajal and Nacho at centre-back together, which eventually became a problem they, they couldn't fix with the, the last goal they conceded. Um, and Simeone said said neither team were good, which I think I would say Atletico probably weren't, weren't that good, even though they did create quite a lot of chances, which is probably where the it-was-a-strange-game thing comes in. Um, but... Yeah, for I was I was looking uh, this morning actually just to see uh, how many of Atletico's goals this season against Real Madrid were from crossing situations, um, and they've Atletico scored eleven goals against Real Madrid this season. Seven have been from either crossing situations or balls that are not over the top of the defense, but kind of angled balls that force the defense to back off and try win. The aerial jewel, um, and yeah, seven of eleven f- from those types of situations. So, 
uh, let's go second half after the switches was not vintage by any means. It was just kind of insistent, I think you describe it. And eventually they get a goal with with a cross, which was again another another very weird goal. Um, Memphis kind of just heading the ball up in the sky. Nacho, Nacho is looking up at the ball, and then Llorente just steals in and, and nods it in. So there were very strange aspects to it. I have to agree with Simeone on that point. It definitely kept La Liga alive because there was people saying that if Real Madrid had won that game, it was pretty much out of sight for certainly Atletico and Barcelona, but but maybe even Girona because if, if Real Madrid go and beat Girona now at the Bernabeu, it's, the, the, the gap opens up again and Real Madrid are playing so seemingly effortlessly well that it just feels like they're not going to go through a, a, a massive slide. They've just got too much talent and they, they know what they are and what they're trying to be. So just, just in terms of Simeone's starting team, what do you think he was trying to achieve with Saul? Uh, pa- the passes in the first 60 minutes up to Saul being subbed off. Koke had 62, Rodrigo de Paul had 57, and Saul had 21. He was obviously part of that midfield three to begin with, and then he, he changed and he was more central. And do you think he was there? Like, like I was saying, I feel like Simeone, the reason why they struggled in attack was because you hear the term rest defense a lot now, nowadays, and I think Simeone felt like Atletico were committing too many bodies forward when, when Real Madrid had scored a lot of goals on them in the last couple of games. And I think he was trying to fix that. And I think that's why there was a lot of, there was a lack of um, chaos or, or a lack of uh, bodies forward for Atletico Madrid. And I think Saul was part of that. He, he was there in, in, in the attacking phase, he was there to arrive late in the box and then defensively out of possession, he was there to, to, to live with Valverde. And, and, and I think maybe Simeone thought he would do a better job of that than, the, uh, than Barrios would be able to do. But I just don't think that it worked. I think Saul either misread the, the situation and was, was dropping in too central in, in that, in, when they were out of possession, or else they were the instructions and Simeone got it wrong. But I just don't think that it worked, whatever it was that he was trying to do with Saul. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't think anyone, if you look from Atletico's side, when the team comes out, no, nobody is overly excited to see Saul at the moment, as, as harsh as it may be. Everybody wants to see Barrios play because he's, um, you know, this up-and-coming talent, but... Um, you know, you can understand him playing Saul just for the mere fact of the, the schedule coming up, but it was the, the most interesting thing to me from right at the start of the game when Atletico eventually got the ball and settled possession was that Real Madrid really reacted off him specifically and Valverde was following him all the way back into the defensive line. So there's times when... Real Madrid have got a back five in the first half with Valverde tracking Saul, which was kind of strange when you first saw it because you're thinking, why is Valverde reacting so much to the presence of Saul? Um, but to me, I, I read it as just knowing how Carvajal was at centre-back, your mind immediately thinks, well, let's go, we're going to try cross the ball a lot. Um, and having Valverde follow Saul 
you know, from Atletico's perspective, Saul is going to be an extra man arriving into the box. He w- he wasn't really, f- you know, like, like you said with the passes, he wasn't involved in the distribution at all, really. Atletico gave that over to Cocaine de Paul to manage the ball deeper areas, and Saul was basically a runner and somebody that could try and bother the defensive line. So, to me, it was kind of Atletico wanted an extra man in the box when they could eventually get up the pitch. And Real Madrid were aware of that and Valverde was going to protect Carvajal and Vasquez on that right side for crosses towards the back post and, and runs into the box. Um, you know, that first game of the season between Atletico and Real Madrid when Atletico scored twice from basically the same the same kind of type of cross into the box. I have to assume that was... Uh, pretty present in Ancelotti's mind and having to play Carvajal at centre-back as well probably made it that they needed a, a little bit of help back there. Do you think if Simeone gets a redo, he gets to see, obviously when we're, as we were following the game before it started, Vinicius was in, then he was out, then there was, there was so many tweets edited at but a half an hour before the game it was kind of hard to keep track because I saw loads of loads of even the aggregator accounts and they were saying one thing and then I had to go to the actual source and yeah so do you think if Simeone sees the starting 11 would he would he and and had a week to prepare just for example do you think he goes at a different starting lineup do you think he tries he gets Lino into the starting 11 he goes at Barrios maybe or, or or six of Saul, or let Lino Molina maybe put Llorente where Saul played. Do, do you think he changes things up if he gets a redo, seeing the eleven that uh, Real Madrid put out in the end? Um, no. I... Well, obviously we're we're talking about this given how poorly they played too. So he's obviously going to do things different. <laughs> but do you think? Forgetting about how they started and how the game went, if he sees Real Madrid's eleven as it was, does he go back and say, "No, we're going to have to go more attacking here because we can actually hurt this centre back pairing. We can hurt Lucas Vasquez. We can make Brian Diaz work a little bit more. We we can ha- be protagonists in this game rather than having to sit back." <laughs> yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, um, there's probably a good chance of that because um, I, I don't think. To me, I don't know about you, but to me, the, the centre-back pairing of Carvajal and Nacho, the guy I was actually more worried about was Nacho, uh, strangely, because I, I just don't think he's playing very well at the moment. I thought they were, they look vulnerable from, from crosses all the time. And Nacho should have been the guy that was you know taking charge of the defence. And you look back at some of the chances Aletsko had, and he's the guy at fault, really, more than, more than Carvajal. So there's definite fragility in, in that back line which it would have been nice to say let's go be a bit more ambitious from the off but again like I said I think just knowing the games that are coming up I think Simeone is was not concerned but he's very um, conscient um, that you know there are big games coming and he, he'd already complained that Atlet- uh, Athletic had an extra two days to recover for for the first leg of the semi-final, so just that sort of yeah. um, admittance alone kind of makes me feel that Simeone is he's he's he will say it uh, you know openly, but he's kind of worried about playing an athletic team in such good form in a cup semi-final. In fairness, as they should be, Athletic Club are, are playing really, really well. 
And 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 also, like I was saying, he's probably thinking, okay, it's not easy beating Athletic Club, but if you can get over this semi-final, you've got a final one-off game against either Real Sociedad or Mallorca, and, and Simeone will be fancy his chance, fancying his chances against one of them, and really good chance of silverware, uh, a cup that they haven't won in a long time is uh, under Simeone. So. Yeah, an interesting one, and, and and obviously then we also have that on Wednesday night. We've got the the Mallorca Real Sociedad game tonight, which is Tuesday, and then Atletico Madrid Athletic Club Wednesday night, which is going to be just really interesting to see his eleven, see what he's thinking, and also that back line that you mentioned. We have to wait and see if Chowmany is back, if Rudiger's back, but but they're going to be tested to the limit by this Girona back line. Sorry, which Girona's attack, given how how they move, whether or not Dobbik is back, and obviously his presence is he, he's he's um he's just been incredible this season, given his movement, also his physicality. But then also you get Chagankov and Savio, who who we'll just touch on here for a second because apparently he's been linked with a move to Manchester City, very complicated deal going down between Troyes and his, his parent club, which are obviously part of the City group, and obviously Girona are also part of the City group, and Manchester City are part of the City group. So it's, I was joking when I said it was a complicated deal there, but it's it looks like Manchester City are going for Savio, and he's a player who we flagged really early in the season, and he's just been incredible this season. And yeah, he, he's it'll be interesting to see where he plays at City, because he plays on the left, Pretty exclusively for for Girona. Do you think he breaks in there and plays a Grealish Doku? Uh, it's um, one of the things I saw was from uh, Neil Soller, who covers Girona for Cadena Ser, and, and he said it's not ruled out yet that um, Savio will return to Girona next season on loan, even if he joins Man City. So it's it's kind of too early to get a feel for what Manchester City's stances on this, but I think it's just as simple as you look at the talent of, of Savio and it's 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 tantalizing really, even for a, a coach like Guardiola who's worked with, you know, the best some of the best wingers in the world. Um kinda makes it his uh not his life's goal, but he kinda loves moulding wingers into mm. you know, players who who arrive with with pretty much talent um you know t- talent alone and then they eventually get molded into these just all-round um all-round players where they you know they're not making silly decisions they're they're retaining the ball they're making they're, they're picking the moments better when to dribble and and when to give continuity to the play so Savio is kind of the perfect candidate for yeah. for what uh you know, like like a project winger for Guardiola, where it's the one v one talent is there, the speed is there, the the work without the ball is there. Now, can you can you figure out how to put him into the Man City machine? But you know that that might be a bit further down the line than than we than we first thought. Yeah, you think of Mares, Ryan Sterling, Grealish, and um, players like that who who he did turn into, and and is well he's still working with Grealish, but. Sterling would have came with kind of some rough edges playing with Liverpool. He turned him into one of the best in the in the in the world. 
Mares obviously too was excellent with Leicester and, and he, he turned him into one of the best in the world and so yeah Savino it'll be interesting to see because yeah he's a player who came out of nowhere for us at the start of the season um we, we now pretty much trust that if if your owner signing a player he's going to be really good and they have a plan for him so it'll be interesting and just to see but it would also make sense if he stayed at Girona because assuming they are in the Champions League next season Michel is still there the bones of the team is still there it'll be really interesting to see just where they go this summer do City Group pump a little bit more money in to maybe see can they consistently challenge Real Madrid or Barcelona is this just a little bit out of the ordinary are they just thinking top 10 will do us fine like we're not going to be investing any more money into this tr trying to chase Real Madrid or Barcelona Atletico the, the bigger teams in Spain but yeah they've been the story of the season so far and they've just been excellent so that one's going to be interesting to watch finally just to wrap up we're going to touch on a player who is just excellent and in fairness has been excellent this season when given the opportunities played 1070 minutes he went from city to real madrid and and it was one of the moves where you look at it and you're thinking does this really make sense and and i understand a young lad from spain gets a chance to sign with real madrid he's not going to say no and it's like the cliche of a, a player says when Real Madrid call, like you, the answer is almost a given. So I, I can completely understand Brahim Diaz, and you have to back yourself and trust that you're going to get into the team. But I just wondered where Brahim Diaz is going to fit into the whole scheme of these things. But he's carved out a really nice place for himself in in Real Madrid's eleven, and while Rodrigo and Vinicius probably are the starting two wide. Raheem Diaz is really knocking on the door now and he's been he's been he was excellent against Atletico Madrid. I was gonna say the game winning player, but they didn't win the game. But if they had a one, he obviously scored the goal, but his influence and his presence out on the right hand side made everything seemingly tick for Real Madrid. So yeah, just a, a brilliant performance from him. Yeah, yeah. If um that one in the second half had curled into the far corner after he nutmegged a Musso and then, uh, you know, kind of fainted past Axel Witzel. If that would have gone in, that would have been... He got an ovation as it was anyway when he got subbed off, but if that would have completed a brace with, with the way he took it, I mean, it was it was Messi-esque, really. Uh, the, the little feints and, um, you know, just, just the balance carrying the ball while, you know, throwing defenders... Uh, out of the way was uh, that was you know th there's been lots of good parts to his game this season but there are moments as well where you do see a, a real star talent where he does things that a lot of other players simply can't do um, and that's you know that's the reason why he was at Manchester City as a kid there's the talent has always been there but like you said in just over a thousand minutes played this season I'm not sure he could have done a lot more really um, you look at the dribbles completed numbers, 3.2 per 90, which is basically right on a par with Vinicius while attempting fewer dribbles per 90 than Vinicius. Um, Ancelotti is not a guy who is, to me, he's not somebody who reacts of something like this and will easily give up the, or give the starting spot to Brahim for a big game over Rodrigo, um, for example, but Again, it's like you said, it's a, it's a pretty compelling case at the moment. And 
to me, Real Madrid are always going to need these players like Brahim because you can't just go out and sign, you know, two world-class players per position and expect that, you know, squad harmony is going to be right. There's always going to be a need for to take a chance on players like Brahim who are, who are young and trying to find their way and Real Madrid call, they can't turn it down and then they have the chance to prove themselves and Brahim so far is, is working out uh, pretty perfectly. And, and and that's an interesting one because Real Madrid do have some really big games coming up. They obviously play Leipzig in the in the Champions League, and and Ancelotti is fine now for the moment, picking teams and and kind of mixing and matching. But there is going to come a time where he's going to have to pick his absolute best eleven, and it will be interesting to see whether it is Rodrigo or whether it is Brahim who starts on that right hand side, and then also you have Kylian Mbappe presumably arriving in the summer we haven't even touched on that and on the podcast at all yet and we don't even know if it's happening apparently it is but nothing has been confirmed yet if he arrives he's just what's what's going to happen there i mean you're not signing killian mbappe to to share minutes with Vinicius on the left hand side maybe they're going to play him as a nine i I don't know like but it kind of like you're saying about brahim there it it goes back to that whole zidane pavone's discussion and i remember zidane as a manager, I think it was uh, 16, 17, and their B team, the plan B, was, was full of these players. Morata, James Rodriguez, I think Isco was played as, as he was sharing minutes back then. And they, yeah, in games where the big, big, huge names needed a rest, these guys stepped in and were just seamless and i think that that's what we're seeing right now when when we when we can't exactly put our finger on why real madrid are so good why they seem to be just winning games almost effortlessly this is what it is they've got really good subs who are getting sufficient minutes that they have the rhythm while also while also having a a, a world-class starting 11 too so even modric coming on the other day and obviously he's 38 now but he's I mean, what a sub to bring on. But yeah, Real Madrid just been excellent so far this season without ever being like blowing you out of the water either. And maybe Ancelotti would prefer that, just kind of just kind of simmering away the right temperature there, <laughs> waiting for the, the really, really big games to come along. One of them obviously this weekend against Girona. So we'll see what his 11 is there and what kind of tactic he's thinking and how whether Brahim Diaz has won, his, won a starting place in the team. I was just going to say, finally, um, Daily Blind being suspended for this game has has hurt me deep in my soul. I feel a rant coming on because I I've been watching, yeah, I've I've been watching this all season. I won't I won't comment on the referees for that one, but I've been watching Girona all season and thinking, is is this finally the the non Barcelona team that can go to the Bernabeu and make Real Madrid run and chase? And I've been convinced all season watching Blind and Eric Garcia, the way they bring the ball out from the back. And now it's probably going to be, I don't know, one pace starting or something. So I feel like Real Madrid have dodged a bullet there because Blind is the guy who is really going to test you whether you can press effectively or whether you make the decision to simply sit off and and let Girona play. So yeah, Blind being out as. Um, saddened me greatly the referee booked him obviously after 90 minutes i will say i i, I sympathize with blind 
he probably should have left it. But having said that, the referee probably should have said to him, I'm going, maybe he did, I don't know. But he should have said to him, if you keep talking at me, I'm going to mm. book you. Now, the referee obviously didn't know that he was, or maybe didn't know he was one card away from being suspended for the biggest game of their season, the biggest game, arguably, in the history of the club, possibly. And Daily Blind, for, for, for people who haven't been watching Girona, and, and I think by this stage, if you listen to this podcast, you will you will understand that that Blind, while he is unathletic and kind of considered a, a failed midfielder, not really quick enough to be a central defender, he has been so important to Girona and what they're doing. And, and we talk about Girona as a team filled with these underrated players and it's just impossible because you you might mention Ivan Martin but then you're like no hold on though it's, it's actually maybe Chagankov or, or possibly Dobbik Savio is just unbelievable too and, and and I think that's because the whole is probably greater maybe than the sum of its parts and Daily Blind uh, in as a part of that whole has just been pivotal and I don't know if they have they don't have a replacement for him but Trusting Michel to come up with something. They have Yangel Herrera back now. Maybe they'll think of something something spicy to, to, to switch things up. Is he not suspended as well? Or are they Oh he is, he is, he is. Yeah. He got suspended too. Sorry, forget forget me. I thought they'd won it back then. He you you made me you gave me hope then. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, so Yangel Herrera. Okay, so yeah, your honor screwed. No, I'm just joking. I'm sure Michel thinks of something. He's got, he's got plenty. Maybe John Solis or someone like that. So someone just completely out of blue is going to start in central midfield and 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 playing in a, in a weird role that we haven't seen before. Um, I, I trust in Michel. But anyway, yeah, we're going to leave it there for this episode of the pod. It's been a pleasure, Jamie, as always. Likewise. But yeah, we'll catch you next week where we will be talking to a special guest about Real Madrid and Girona. Hopefully, we get a good game. And depending on what happens in those Copa del Rey semifinals, we'll probably touch on them too. And we'll also be back with our second installment of the Stats Corner, where Jamie and myself will be rooting around the Opta databases looking for, for all sorts of, of, of fancy stats for you to, to think about during your commute or share with your friends as i said you can do it to what you will but yeah we'll leave it there for this episode of the pod and from us here at la posa pod hq it is adios